control. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. I'm very excited on our show today because we're going to be speaking to somebody very senior from NASA, and I love all things space. And the man who did that interview, the man who I currently hate, is Niall Kitson, <laughs> sitting in front of me. Uh, he basically just said, he said to me, he says, uh, he says, I've done an interview. You'll never guess with who. And I, t- I kind of watched up and back. I said, with who? And then he told me and I just went. I, I said a word that you can't say on radio. No, it's true. True. I, I, I think I just told you his job and that was enough. That, that NASA was enough. And then when you told yeah. me the job, it was like, oh, my God. I, yeah. We'll get to that in a few minutes' time. Let's talk about kind of the uh, events of the week. And one of them, of course, is Google Gone. Well, the two big lads who founded Google have decided that's it. Yeah, Larry Page and Sergey Brin have decided enough is enough. We're stepping away from Alphabet, which is Google's parent company. And, uh, you know, may they live long and prosper, as as far as I think most people are concerned. Um, kind of a strange time for departures. I mean, Johnny Ive left uh, Apple. He, all his official mentions are gone from the Apple website. Uh, and now the founders of Google are going as well. It almost feels like a, a little bit of a changing of the guard is happening. Um, yeah, but you, you can't keep everything the same forever. Oh, God, no, no. Especially in technology. Exactly. Things have to change and move on. I really like the, the, the comment from the two lads. They were saying, if Google was a baby... It would have gone through adolescence and now will be 21 years old. And it's time to move on. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting way of looking oh, at it. That was a really yeah, good, yeah. interesting way. But they are going to stay on as uh, directors, aren't they? Uh, usually there's... Of Alphabet. Uh, usually there's some sort of shadow presence. They are maintaining 51% of the shareholding. So they won't be around day to day. But if they see something they don't like, mm. they can still mug in and go, nope. <laughs> That's what Daddy says. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, an interesting place to be. But you know, Google is not a company without problems. I mean, for for all the optimism and do no evil that we associate with Google, they've got some fairly serious labour problems uh, at the moment. And what There's sense? a team of three employees um, who are trying to organise uh, a union, and they were let go uh, by Google, and they are currently. Uh, I'm not sure if litigate is the right word, but they've gone to a, a, a I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but they're, they're not quite suing Google. I can't remember the, the exact term, but they, they've basically said we've had our rights trampled on. Mm-hmm. Google fired us for trumped up reasons. And uh, it's purely just to stop staff from unionizing. That, you know, you have people on bad contracts, you have third party contractors mm-hmm. going around, you have temps, mm-hmm. neither of which have the ability to, you know, develop a voice within the company. Um, and they themselves were let go for reasons of, I think, sharing customer data internally. Uh, but there's a there's a wrinkle in there as well, in that all the people that were let go were uh, LGBT uh, activists oh, as well. No. So there's... 
I, d- I don't know. I think there's layers to this going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, with something, especially in a company that big, you will never know the ins and outs. No, you won't. And you don't know whose feet got trampled on or whose agenda got, got you know, uh, revealed. But, I mean, Google have had a bad year for uh, for staff. You remember James Damore on the, the other side of this year who published his paper saying that women weren't as good as, as men as certain things by quoting a lot of crackpot bad science. Um, and it went viral and uh, that was that was really bad for Google. Mm. Not so much just that the paper was written and published and shared internally. Uh, it's more that it got out. You know, somebody having bad ideas bad, backed up by bad science is, is one thing. You're a human being. You're allowed to have that in a democracy. Mm. Um, but just the way it was dealt with and the way it dealt with the backlash... What, what what do you think it's going to be like for Google? Kind of, I, I, the reason I'm saying this is because in my head, I'm looking forward to next year, not as next year, but as a brand new decade and a, and a fresh start. And it's, you know, kind of a lot of things that have been difficult recently are kind of coming to a head. And I can see, I can see sunshine ahead. And Thank I'm looking you. forward to a very positive start to the next decade. And a decade is a good chance to change over for like everybody. Not oh. just people, but companies and systems and, and trends and, and everything. Do you, think, do you think, how do you think Google's going to go hmm. into the 2020s? Okay, well, they, they'll have a relatively new face in Sundar Pichai. Mm. Who, uh, but he's been around for like the last yes, four years. He's yeah. that new a face. Not that new. I suppose it'll, it's that stage where Google will become his business, where he will be the guy. In the same way that... Um, Who's the, the head of Microsoft at the moment? I, I know this. Satya Nadella. There you go. That's who it is. Uh, in the same way that he took over from Steve Ballmer, Ballmer being, you know, a Bill Gates guy, mm. um, Satya Nadella has brought uh, a new face and a new uh, momentum mm. to Microsoft that he moved it away from being a hardware company to just being pure software and services. Uh, now, granted, they, they do have their hardware wing and the Surface is a, a pretty nice uh, product. And maybe we'll talk about surface things again mm. in our review of the year because I think they've, they've done something very interesting. Right. It is strange because I suppose we've come up with the technology and, you know, Bill Gates is very familiar to you and I as the founder of Microsoft. Uh, Steve Jobs would be very familiar as the founder of Apple uh, and the two lads very familiar as the, as the as founders of Google. And now it's all kind of moving on. And we've we've lost them all within it's the last like, ten years. It's like if you buy a car that's brand new, and then you meet the third owner. It's like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> it's not your car, <laughs> <laughs> or or a house or something like that. Like mm. you know, so uh, so interesting. Anyway, uh, uh, onwards and upwards we go into the new decade with that. Also making news this week, uh, we have Apple. Apple have been listening to you, and uh, they've been sharing this information in the Eructus. Oh, yeah, uh, a year of. Smugness on the part of Apple, <laughs> Apple fans. One year, one one year of smugness. Well, a single year <laughs> of smugness. Uh, yeah, it came to an end uh, in the Oireachtas today, where a representative from Apple said, "Yeah, yeah, Siri has been listening to people, but mm. you know what? It was uh, a third party. Mm. Um, we no longer use them. We've we've brought that um, uh, we've brought that particular piece of research mm. in house, and the only way." you would have been listened to is if you said, hey, Siri, mm. and activated Siri. So it wasn't a, a passive thing. And, and apparently the people who are listening 
don't know who they're listening to. Yeah. Because they, they can hear the audio recording, but they have no idea where in the world they are or an yeah. email address. And there's no number or any identifier on it. So it's, it's anonymized. But, I mean, you can say that, well, hey, you consented to this, but in which part of the EULA is that little consent well, Here's an interesting mentioned. question for you, okay? Because yeah. if this was to happen with Facebook, we, you know, we've, we have no trust in Facebook no. whatsoever. None. No. All right. Now, Apple have fessed up. Yeah, they have. And made a statement in the Oireachtas, which is in a very heavy place to make it a statement. Yeah. Uh, do you trust them? Do you believe them? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. I actually kind of do as well, you know. Uh, I mean, do- And it was comforting for me to hear that if somebody hears the conversation, they don't know where it's come from. Mm-hmm. I did kind of like that. Well, I tell you, what, it, was comf- it was comforting to actually hear it in Ireland. And there is a little bit of that as well, yes. Familiarity, it's yeah. on our own turf, and that, hmm, interesting. How do you think Apple's going to fare in the next decade? Oh, Apple, oh, well, I've got thoughts about that for oh. a year, year in review as well. <laughs> so the year in the review show is uh, the place to do that. All right, Grant. Listen, uh, that's it. It's early December, so it's uh, uh, not the most exciting of weeks, but they are the two big stories that have caught our imagination anyway. And uh, Niall, as always, thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Artificial intelligence is everywhere. And what better place to look for applications than in space exploration? Dr. Steve Chen, head of artificial intelligence for NASA, sat down with our very own Niall Kitson at the National Analytics Summit to talk about where we're going next out there and why. Steve, one of the ideas I came across when looking at NASA's um, approach to AI is this fusion of AI operations and flight. So can you elaborate on that for us? Yes. So uh, NASA has these very closely intertwined things that it wants to do. And just like in any commercial enterprise, when you bring in AI, you have to understand the existing processes. And so uh, NASA and JPL has a particular challenge. All of the AI that would be on board the spacecraft would be implemented in the flight software. So you have to understand how the flight software is written, how challenging it is to write it. Uh, and the analog in industry would be in your production line or, or in your data analytics, in your marketing. How do you use the data? What's your op- what is what is your implementation infrastructure, your software for analyzing the data? And then the operations comes in. That's how you actually use it in your, your day-to-day business. And for NASA, that's operating the spacecraft to get the data back, the, the particular data back that we want to get back from Mars or from Europa or Jupiter or, or wherever your spacecraft is. Uh, and the commercial analog is, you know, if you're selling things, then how do you use the AI in your overall selling process? process, uh, or if you're producing things, if you're a pharmaceutical company, how do you use your AI to produce you know, the, the pharmaceuticals or the drugs that, that you're using? And so the analogy I would make to industry is that you have to understand how all of those things work together and how the AI can be used in those. Uh, because the AI has to be implemented in your operational software, and the AI has to be used in your operational processes. And so within my lab, uh, we have quite a few people who've worked operations. We have quite a few people who've worked on flight software. And I myself uh, have uh, worked operations for a number of missions, uh, probably most recently and most notably the European Space Agency's Rosetta mission uh, that uh, we we actually deployed AI software to help do the science planning for the uh, Rosetta orbit 
orbiter mission. And so you learn a lot from doing the operations yourself, and so that helps you to understand the ways in which AI could help and the ways in which AI must be designed in order to help and not hinder your operations. The effectiveness of AI is, is of course, reliant on the quality of the data that you get. And it was a point you raised previously that when you're exploring, you know, Mars, Jupiter, etc., you know, the discovery is one thing, but in a sense, the data is the discovery as much as, as you know, the, the visuals, if you will. Yes. So the data is the discovery, but as we try and deploy AI, uh, we always say that we're in the knowledge business, not the data business. So first of all, you have to be able to make sense of the data. And let's imagine you're doing that on the ground. So NASA is using artificial intelligence and machine learning to deal with the large data sets uh, to understand what can you what you can extract from the large data sets. It's now quite commonplace for scientists to use machine learning techniques to try and analyze these data sets. Uh, and in particular, AI is being used to triage large data sets that you can't possibly have a human look at. So radio science data in a project called VFaster, which is looking at radio transients, to pull out the radio transients that might be interesting scientific phenomenon or in the popular press, uh, signs of alien life, uh, to pull those out so the scientists can look at the most important pieces of data. We also look at that in the visual astronomy data to detect supernovas uh, and things like that rather than having people pour through them. But there are even more subtle applications of AI. A colleague of mine, Dr. Kiri Wagstaff, she's deployed AI deep learning to Mars imagery in a system called Deep Mars that allows people to say, a scientist to say, I want all the images of what are called Swiss cheese. That's a particular geological formation. And all of the images, they'll get to see all the images uh, uh, that, that have this geological formation. It's much like when you go to YouTube and say, I want cat dancing videos or something like that. But we can even use AI to analyze the scientific papers and know that this particular target location, I'm interested in it because somebody wrote a paper about that and this uh, particular substance called hematite, which forms in the presence of water. So because the paper talks about this location in hematite, when I type into the Mars Target Encyclopedia hematite, it'll tell me to go look at this particular geological site. And so those are some of the ways that NASA is dealing with the large data and going from data to knowledge, which is sort of an essential endeavor at NASA, but also the business world. You mentioned the uh, Mars Encyclopedia there, which is a massive project in itself. So tell us a little bit about it. Well, that's actually a project led by my colleague, Dr. Kiri Wagstaff. And what they did is they used... um, Uh, They analyzed this large corpus of thousands of papers published at one conference, the Lunar and Planetary Sciences Conference, and it looks for references to particular science concepts like hematite and particular locations on Mars because they name all these locations on Mars and they learn the correlations between these science concepts and and the locations. And so that's what allows them to build this system where somebody can now specify the science concepts and then you can automatically be driven to the locations on Mars, the imagery that the people cited in their scientific papers. And so this enables the scientists to network more quickly, to, to, to think about this web of knowledge, and that's just the first step.
Uh, one thing that we sort of touched upon briefly uh, with the Rosetta is the importance of autonomous systems. Um, we're we're seeing it, of course, with the with the Mars missions. Uh, but where do you see this technology moving forward to? So the Mars rovers already are going to have much more capability. So the Mars 2020 rover, which is launching to Mars uh, in the summer of uh, 2020, uh, will have the ability to adjust the timing of its activities. If something takes less time than we expect, it can do more science. If something takes more time, it can delay other activities. But in the future, we want a much more fully autonomous system. So the New Horizons spacecraft flew by Pluto and another Kuiper Belt object, but it was all pre-planned from the ground. We would like that spacecraft or a future spacecraft like that to know what to look for, to hunt for things, and to change that plan on the fly. So uh, the scientists are interested in if there are plumes. So on Rosetta, we saw all these plumes, but we just had to target the comet assuming that there would be plumes. We couldn't say, if you see a plume, look at that plume and keep the instrument focused on that plume. The AI will enable us in the future missions to say, look for plumes, and if you see a plume, don't look at that other stuff, just point and track that plume, which is not so easy because the comet is rotating, the, the plume is growing and shrinking. And so we want the spacecraft to be able to hunt for objects, to search for objects either spectrally by the visual signature or by morphological, by the shape of the object, and to be able to tell it uh, like you would tell a graduate student, find the plumes and take the data on the plumes. Uh, and that will enable us to get much better scientific data in the future. And then, of course, there's the challenge of uh, the craft collecting data, and maybe there's something that the researcher isn't looking for, but the, the AI can go, do you know what, something really interesting happened over yes, here. Yes, that's, that's a very good question. And so what you're talking about is looking for things that you're not really looking for. <laughs> uh, and so we call that uh, anomaly detection or outlier analysis or unsupervised learning. So you're looking for the piece of the data that doesn't fit the model. So if you can run the model on board the spacecraft, you can fit the data to the model and see when things do not fit the model. Uh, and that model, I, model is a very generic term. So that model could be, let's say, an atmospheric model. And so we could model the uh, atmosphere of Neptune and say when, oh, wait, that storm went right and it should have gone left according to my model take all the data around that so we can understand why it went left and update the model. Uh, you could also think about learning the model itself and sending down the model, not the data. You could also think about sending down the exceptions to the data or a summarization of the data using the model. So we had a project where we took all this aerial imagery and we let the system cluster the aerial imagery. So you know, you take pictures outside of an airplane, you see some rivers, you see some forest, you see some mountains, you see some clouds. Interestingly enough, some of the pictures have the wing in them. And so the system clusters them based on these similarities. And it clusters, there's one called wing. <laughs> well, we would name it wing. It doesn't know the name wing. There's clouds, there's rivers. And so instead of just ten sending down these, you know, thousands of images, we say, we flew over some rivers. And here's an example of a river image. We flew over some forests. And that's a great way to summarize the data, and that's in fact what the explorers did in the old days, you know, before they could take thousands of images when they were like drawing pictures. And if you extend that, you can search for the unknown. So you can say, I expect to see rivers, I expect to see forests, but 
if I see this fantastic superhighway on Mars, that's something unusual. Now, maybe it's just this long line, and maybe it's a river, and we didn't expect to see rivers, but because that's unusual, that's important to the scientist, because it doesn't fit the statistical model that we built up. And that's what I would call a stepping stone to having the system be able to do some of these things, to look for things that are unexpected. We also do search by what we call blacklists and whitelists. So, uh, a whitelist would be we search for specific things, and if we make the computer smarter, it can search for that. So in Europa, we're very interested in sulfur because sulfur is often associated with uh, astrobiology, with signs of life. Uh, it's uh, certain bacteria and certain kinds of life either thrive in the presence of it or they might even produce it. Um, so what we can do is we can say if we see sulfur, we want to look. We we that's very important. So. If the system is smart enough to hunt for things that we know we're looking for, it can be much smarter. We can also say what we expect. We can say when we look at the ground, we expect to see these minerals. If we see something else, that's of interest. And so that's search by exception. So if we take thousands of images and they all have the things we expect, we can just summarize they all look like this. But if we see that sulfur that we're not expecting, or we see that methane, methane is another, you know, astrobiology signature of life. If we see something unexpected, then that's what we want to send back. And so these are the steps towards making the software smarter and smarter and the spacecraft smarter and smarter. So, of course, the popular consciousness is concerned with Mars at the moment because it's, it's where we have objects and, and it's where we're getting the data from. Your interest is slightly further afield to Europa. So why there? So people are interested in Europa because Europa, underneath its ice cap, it has more water than we have on Earth. And people think that the water is essential to life. Even more exciting, there's a growing number of people on Earth that think that life at Earth began at hydrothermal vents. So when I was a kid growing up in the 70s, people thought life couldn't exist without light, uh, the sunlight, because photosynthesis is kind of the cornerstone of life. The beautiful thing about science is they were wrong. <laughs> so, and they were wrong, and science knows how to deal with it. Now at black smokers and white smokers in the bottom of the ocean, there's an entire ecosystem that lives there. And Scientists, there's a, a number of scientists that believe that life on Earth began at these hydrothermal vents. There's evidence there could be hydrothermal vents in this sub-ice ocean at Europa, but it's very hard to get there. We have to get to Jupiter, we have to then go to Europa, then we have to land on Europa, we have to melt through this ice. The ice is kilometers thick. So it might take a year to melt through it. And then we have to hunt for the life. We have to hunt for the hydrothermal vents. And then we have to know life when we see it. It's a tremendous challenge, and all that has to be done with AI, because we can't send humans there, we can't communicate with the spacecraft very easily, so that's a tremendous challenge for, for AI. There's also uh, vents at Enceladus, one of the moons of Saturn. Uh, Cassini data indicates that there, that could harbor life, so we need to go, again, go into a crevasse into a hunt for that life, and communications, we won't be able to communicate with those robots, the venting is going to interfere, interfere with communications, AI has to be there. And even further beyond that, if we go to another solar system, the nearest star system to us, Proxima Centauri, is about four and a half light years away. 
that spacecraft is on its own. When it sends the data back, it'll be almost five years before we even get it. We can't command that spacecraft. It's, we're going to launch it, and it's going to do whatever it's going to do. And the TRAPPIST system is about 10 times further away. Uh, and so TRAPPIST is of interest to the scientists because it might have multiple Earth-like planets. And so those systems have to have, those are true challenges for AI. How do you operate a mission completely with AI? And that was Niall Kitson chatting to Dr. Steve Chen, Head of Artificial Intelligence for NASA. Uh, just before we head off for this week, Niall is still with us. Uh, just one more thing I have for you. Oh, OK. Yeah, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to have met that guy. You just crept off a bed and behind my back, you did. Oh. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, there, that is it for this week. You can get the lowdown on all the stories that we covered earlier and, of course, the NASA story as well uh, and all things tech that are happening in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio One Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central